Hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today. Because we know that God is already here, and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. We're taking a brief break from our current sermon series on the book of 1 Samuel in order to mark the occasion of a very special birthday. Now, in case you're wondering whose birthday we're celebrating today, it's yours and mine. It's our birthday as the church, not Grace Lutheran Church, but the church universal, the body of Christ all around the world and across the ages of time. It's our birthday as the church because today, as you just saw in the video, is Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost, a Greek word which means 50th, originally commemorated the Jewish Feast of Weeks, or the celebration of the early harvest in Israel. Fifty days after the beginning of the barley harvest, the celebration of the beginning of the wheat harvest would begin. Now, one year on Pentecost, during this annual observance, some fifty days after the resurrection of Christ, the Spirit of God was poured out on Jesus' disciples just as Christ had promised. And with this permanent filling of the Holy Spirit, the disciples preached the gospel, the good news about Jesus, to the multitudes who were gathered for the festival from the nations in Jerusalem at that time. They were there for the observance of the Passover festival, and thousands believed and were baptized and began to follow the way of Jesus. For this reason, we trace the beginnings of the church to Pentecost and consider today to be our birthday. Pentecost, often overshadowed by Christmas and Easter, is nonetheless a foundational event in our journey of faith together. In fact, some Christians even refer to themselves as Pentecostals, though the history of the adoption of this moniker Pentecostal was more about creating an unhealthy and divisive distinction between believers, those who are truly in the Spirit and those who are deemed not. Do you consider yourself a Pentecostal? Perhaps you're thinking, uh, Pastor Chris, isn't this Grace Lutheran Church? I'm not talking about a denominational name. Pentecostal is not a private or exclusive description for some select group of Christians, no matter what their particular theology. No, no matter who you are or what Christian church to which you belong, Pentecostal is a name that belongs to all who through the person and work of the Holy Spirit have come to believe, be baptized, and follow Jesus Christ. Our family roots go back to Pentecost, the day and the event that marked the beginning of the church, and so therefore, we are all Pentecostals. And that means, again, today is our birthday. And birthdays, as we all know, involve the giving and receiving of gifts. So today, through a portion of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, we are going to reflect on one of the many gifts we have received in the Lord's giving of his spirit to us. Now, you may have heard of the various lift listings of the gifts of the Holy Spirit throughout the Bible, but the specific gift of the Holy Spirit that we're going to be focusing on today is not from one of these lists. By the way, none of these lists was ever meant to be exhaustive and all-encompassing. Yet, that's how most people treat the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Despite this fact, this particular birthday present that Paul talks about here tends to be one that gets overlooked. And that's a shame because it's a really good one. It's a really good one that will encourage and empower us in an area of our relationship with God that most Christians confess they struggle in, and that's prayer. 
So let's hear about this gift as we listen to Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, starting in verse 22. The reading is from the letter to the Romans, the eighth chapter, verses 22 through 27. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we have hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. Normally when we receive a gift on our birthday, we have to unwrap it. And this gift is no exception. We're going to have to do some unwrapping of Paul's words here before we recognize exactly what we have been given through the Holy Spirit. The whole of chapter 8 is about our life through the Spirit. So I want you to keep those Bibles open as we'll be pointing to some other things Paul has to say in this chapter beyond the specific passage we are focused on today. But we begin in verse 22 with Paul's image of a groaning creation and this concise description of a cosmos that's broken and thus inhibited in its proper functioning of life not being what it's supposed to be fits well with the reality of the world we live in, with life on this planet as we know it. I mean, beyond the impact of a global pandemic, there are countless diseases that infest and impair creation. And then we have hurricanes, tsunamis, ice storms, droughts, famines, fires that rage out of control, and all the other things that are broken about this world. The list goes on and on. God's wounded creation is marked by so many signs of disaster, so many wasted or corrupted resources, so many unreconciled wrongs. And yet if we pay attention, Paul reframes our perception of this suffering world. Creation's great discomfort, he writes, is not the result of bleeding out, gasping for its last breath, but rather all its pains and groans are birth pangs. All of the long sighs and deep cries of the cosmos are painful expressions, not of despair though, but of expectant hope. Oh, for what? If we go back a few verses in our passage, from our passage, Paul's already told us the answer to this question in chapter 8. The whole creation, he writes, looks for, it yearns in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. What all life on this planet is longing for is its deliverance from its brokenness, from what Paul calls the bondage of decay due to human sin, our rebellion and rejection of how the Lord created this world to work. In other words, a shattered creation longs for when humanity is finally and ultimately healed and made new because in the wholeness of humanity, all life will be made whole. Through the Holy Spirit, an inseparable connection has been reforged between the fate of humanity and the fate of this world. Notice how Paul elaborates on this when he declares that we groan along with creation. We too yearn and long for something, hope that has not yet been realized. We share in creation's discomfort, 
even though we enjoy what Paul refers to as the first fruits of the Spirit. And that phrase, first fruits, it comes out of the Jewish traditions of the Old Testament. In the aftermath of their exodus out of Egypt, in teaching the Israelites how to worship God properly, Leviticus chapter 23 required the people to bring the first fruits of the harvest as their offering to the Lord. And anyone who's worked on a farm or even done a little gardening knows that the first fruits are the best, the most desirable part of the harvest. Why? Because in all the waiting and the anticipation, when the fruit finally arrives, that first tomato or that first peach of the season, it's mouth-watering and delicious. However, it's important to realize Paul here is not speaking about the first fruits that we offer to God. But rather, he writes about the first fruits that the Lord has given to us, the first fruits of the Spirit. But what does that mean? What is this first fruit of the Spirit? Paul answers this question when he writes, for in this hope we were saved. In other words, the first fruit of all is our salvation in Christ. That's the first fruit, what God accomplished through Jesus for us on the cross. Forgiveness and reconciliation in the midst of separating ourselves from our Creator through our rebellion and rejection of His way of life for us. And through the resurrection, victory and freedom beyond death so that our following of Christ is not in vain, but is leading us somewhere into a fullness and abundance of life that lasts forever. The first fruit of this salvation is the person and presence of the Spirit within us, confirming our belonging to Christ and giving us an ongoing taste of the coming harvest, of the new life, of the new creation still to come. To break this down further, Think of it this way, on the one hand, we have been saved in Christ. You'll note that Paul speaks of our salvation here in the past tense. The work of the cross and the resurrection are finished, complete. This is not in doubt. The work of our salvation is done. But the full force of that salvation has not yet been realized for us and for all creation. Uh, to put it back in agricultural terms, just like the first fruits of a harvest, the first fruits of the Spirit constitute only a small part, the beginning of the yield to come, marking the start of the harvest season, but pointing to the greater bounty yet to be received with its completion. Paul also employs the metaphor of adoption here. Specifically, he writes our adoption to sonship. While the seal of the Spirit marks our return back into the family as children of God, the fullness of our adoption is to become sons and daughters in Christ. We are to become like Jesus in our character and person. I mean, part of the understanding of the incarnation, part of our understanding of God coming down to us in Christ is Jesus reflects and embodies what it means to be human. Not our definition of what it means to be human, but the Lord's intention for our humanity in perfection. In Jesus, we witness all we were created to be and to become in relationship with God and with each other. So while the Spirit is the first fruit of our adoption as God's children, this does not mean that we have already arrived spiritually. We are works, all of us, all of us works in progress. We are just beginning to bloom in terms of who we are, who we can be in Christ, the full harvest of all we will become, thanks to Jesus, like Christ, is an ongoing work of the Spirit and our abiding in that work. Our groaning then, 
like the groaning of creation, is the expression of our anticipation, our longing for the completion of our adoption, for the fullness of the harvest of God's salvation. Such groaning expresses something that we sense and feel, but do not yet completely see. This something is hope, our hope in Christ. And as Paul clarifies, hope is not something we see. If we can see it, then we have it, and hope is not needed. Hope requires waiting. Hope demands patience. The hope we have in the Spirit enables us to wait, spurs us to be patient, to abide in the ongoing work of the Lord. In fact, the Greek word for patience used by Paul here is related to the word for perseverance. It's the sort of patience where we have to keep on keeping on in the midst of all of our waiting. Let's read, however, between the lines here. Let's read between the lines of what Paul's written. If creation is in the midst of birth pangs, if we are works in progress, then the kind of patience being invoked here is not the stuff of boredom, twiddling our thumbs while staring at the clock waiting for time to expire. The kind of patience being invoked here is that of life in transition. It's the kind of patience about growth and change, and the process of change, of maturing, it involves conflict, struggle, and suffering. That's why what we experience as we mature and change, that process of being stretched and learning, that process of increasing our capacity, that process of eliminating bad habits and rhythms for good ones, they're called what? Growth pains. Too often a false gospel is preached that claims if we follow Jesus, we can bypass suffering and struggle, that if we exhibit the right kind of faith and prayer, we will only experience health and prosperity. But Jesus himself never declares this, never. He speaks repeatedly of both the challenge and the cost of dying to ourselves, of dying to who we have been in order to follow him and become who we can be. Likewise, Paul makes no promises of our exemption from struggle or pain. In fact, for those who still might be tempted to think that following Jesus means escape from this world, Paul clearly states being children of God, indwelled by the Spirit, does not remove us from the suffering of this planet. Far from taking us out of a world marked by imperfection and unrest, our life in the Spirit brings us into deeper solidarity with the rest of creation. Our groans and sighs, our expectations and longings through the Spirit are inseparably connected with the yearnings of the cosmos. Paul's emphasis on our solidarity with creation here, it flies in the face of the apocalyptic mindset that is so popular in our culture these days. Again, perpetuated by bad theology within the church. What Paul writes here is a counterpoint to any notion that at some end time, we as believers will be snatched away to heaven while the rest of creation is left behind to go to hell, awash in nothing but bloodshed and complete destruction. No, instead, this passage articulates a strong affirmation that our Creator cares deeply about His creation, all of it, that God has not and will not abandon it in the very same way our Lord refuses to forsake us. The leading of the Spirit is not for us as the church to turn away from this world as we plan for and even repeatedly try to nail down the date and time of some sort of divine airlift rescue operation. On the contrary, we as the body of Christ in becoming who we are meant to be in Jesus, through the work of the Spirit, are bound to care for creation. 
We are to protect and nurture this world in its expectant longing for its redemption. We're not to savagely and mindlessly rape and exploit the planet for our benefit, figuring it's all going to burn anyway, and we won't be here when it does. No, our hope of the dawn of a new creation in God's good timing does not negate the significance and value of the creation which has been entrusted to us now. We do not seek to escape from this world because, as Paul underscores, we share a common destiny with it. This world is our home. The heaven we anticipate is not one we're going to. It's the heaven that's coming down to earth, down to us as we pray in the Lord's Prayer. It's the heaven that's remaking this world just as we are being remade in Christ. As the Spirit of Christ not only dwells and works within us, but also moves and spurs the contractions of a creation, wrestling with the vowed but not yet surrendered powers of sin and death, we will experience trouble in this world, conflict and suffering, pain and loss. And yet, Paul's point, the gift of the Spirit that we finally unwrap here, is that we are not driven to despair. What is the birthday present? One of the many gifts of the Spirit, thanks to Pentecost, that we find here? that we have hope. Not just any hope, but the hope of heaven. We possess divine assurance thanks to the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is not some idle or fanciful hope, hope that we have to generate in order to keep it alive. This is hope within us, out there in the world, hope that's generated and sustained by the Spirit. And this hope of the Spirit is tangible and practical, for as Paul describes, this hope groans with us, interceding for us, testifying to us as we long, as we wait, telling us that God is still working, that the Lord is making good on his promise of redemption for us and for all creation. Paul gets it. Paul is in this world with us, in our longing as we wait and as we abide in Christ's transforming work both in and through us. Paul's been there. Paul is one of us. He knows. As believers, as followers of Jesus, we can be worn down by weakness, by how far we and this world still have to go. Paul understands. Sometimes, sometimes things get so bad, sometimes life becomes so hard that we can be tempted to lose the hope we have, particularly in those moments when we find ourselves breathless, speechless, not even knowing how to pray anymore, how to talk to God, how to put what we're feeling, what we're thinking, what we're experiencing, how to put it into words. Sometimes Paul understands the darkness is all we see even as we are desperately looking for the light. Sometimes in the challenge and struggle of our growth in Christ, the present moment before us can become so overwhelming it can be hard to hold on to the future God has promised for us, to embody that hope in the midst of where we currently find ourselves. Paul understands. Sometimes the brokenness of this life can break us and we can't speak. We can only cry. We can only sigh and groan. It is precisely in such moments, at the point where we reach the end of ourselves before the ruin and misery of this world, before the nagging reality of our own incompleteness. It is precisely in such moments when in our waiting we are hard pressed, when we just can't find the words anymore, that the Spirit intercedes, carrying us, filling us with the strength of divine hope.
Struggling with prayer is a reality for many Christians. And that struggle, apart from the lack of even trying, that struggle often comes down to not knowing how to pray, right? What to say and how to say it before God. It's a comfort to read within the pages of our Bibles the recognition of this struggle by Paul. We're not alone. We're not alone if we grapple, if we struggle with the practice of prayer. Hear that today. But the encouragement, one of the gifts on our birthday as the church, part of the good news of the gospel, is we have the Holy Spirit as our constant advocate in reaching out and speaking to God. Notice, Paul doesn't write that the Holy Spirit prays for us so that we don't have to pray. No. The Holy Spirit, Paul writes, prays with us helping us as we pray, shaping and forming, even refining whatever it is we're trying to express to the Lord. What does that mean? Well, sometimes when we receive gifts on our birthday, several gifts especially, we can have the tendency to rush through opening each of our presents in order to get to the next one, which might be bigger and better than the last. But this particular gift of the Spirit isn't one we should easily toss aside and quickly lose sight of. The gift of the Spirit's intercession in our prayer life with God is remarkable. It's one that offers us not only profound comfort, but needed encouragement in our conversational relationship with the Lord. Sometimes when we pray, sometimes when we pray, we know exactly what we want to say and what we want God to do, right? And such prayers can easily become nothing more than a to-do list that we attempt to hand to God and then walk away. But based on what Paul writes here, the Holy Spirit doesn't just act like a messenger service, handing our prayer list to the Lord. Instead, the Spirit intercedes and adapts our prayer list to fit the will of God. And this is a relief because it means we can pray from our heart freely. You can write those lists without fear of making a mess by asking wrongly. We've all had that experience. Sometimes we think we know what to ask for, but in hindsight, we realize it was not what we needed and not good for us. Well, serving as a filter for our prayers, the Spirit spares us from experiencing not how good, but how bad and chaotic it would be if God actually answered all of our prayers as asked. And abiding in the Spirit as we reflect on the contrast between what we pray for and what God does in our lives, abiding in that, we can discover and learn how to stop handing the Lord lists. You can do that, but how to stop and instead discern what the Lord wants for us. And then there are other times we pray, right? When we try to pray and, let's be honest, we fall asleep or we find ourselves distracted by other concerns. Well, the good news is that just as the Lord gives us grace and delivers a salvation we don't deserve, in the same way Paul writes, through this gift of the Spirit, the Lord gives us grace and still hears, still receives, and picks up where our poor, clumsy, halting, and inadequate words need help. In other words, God carries the conversation when we can't seem to stay attentive and focused. Even as we may leave out a lot in terms of what needs to be said when we pray, the Spirit is active and gracious, filling in the gaps. Sometimes when we pray, we can get frustrated. We can't put our thoughts together. It's not a matter of distraction or tiredness. We just can't get the words out. Nothing we say sounds coherent or makes any sense. We find ourselves so overwhelmed by life, but in the moment, the best we can manage is, God, help me, or God, forgive me. However, in light of the gift of the Spirit we have been given, Paul's counsel to us is to keep talking, 
Keep processing. We can talk it out before the Lord. It doesn't have to be coherent. We can say what we need to say before God, and it doesn't have to be perfect or properly stated. Prayer isn't a magic formula where if you say the wrong word or say the words in the wrong way, the line suddenly goes dead with the Lord. No, God remains on the line. The Lord is listening no matter what. And even more than this from what Paul writes here, the Holy Spirit searches our hearts, collaborating with all our sighs and groans, what we can't express, and takes what is inexpressible for us, what is too deep for words, and receives it into the larger life of God. So that means no matter what, we are heard. No matter what message received. And regardless of how the Lord answers our particular prayer, in the receiving of our message in this way through the Spirit, God our Father assures us, I am here. I am with you and for you. No matter what happens, I will carry you beyond the painful reality of the present into the hopeful future I have prepared for you beyond that reality. Contrary to how we as Christians often perceive and describe the presence and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, Paul here does not paint a picture of collapsing in individual ecstasy, exuding holy laughter or howling, crazed foot stomping or hand waving, babbling incessantly in tongues or smacking each other on the forehead and proclaiming a word of healing. It's interesting, isn't it? No, for Paul to be possessed by the Spirit is to be transformed by the Spirit, not externally from the outside in, but rather from the inside out. The kind of change Paul describes is not merely a private personal adjustment, but rather the bringing about of a new creation, a transformation that changes the world, not just the individual, not just a congregation. My friends, in this world, in this life, as we wait and trust what the Lord is doing, we will struggle with the growth pains of our emerging redemption. In maturing into all we can be in Christ, we will confront often painfully our weaknesses, all that we are not yet in following Jesus. And along the way, praying, talking, and listening to the Lord about all this and about all that will be challenging. It'll be part of learning more about ourselves. It'll be part, more importantly, of learning more about the reliability and faithfulness of God. And through it all, in this wrinkle of time between what is and what will be, we, along with the whole creation, will groan. We will sigh. We will ache for the end of this long walk of obedience in the same direction. We will long for the dawn of a new world, for our complete wholeness, our perfect peace, our eternal redemption in Christ. But on this Pentecost, on our birthday, as we celebrate this life we have been born into thanks to Jesus, let us remember we have been given the Spirit of Christ. And among the many gifts of his Spirit is the gift of a divine assurance and holy advocacy that we are not alone and that the hope we have in him is not in vain, even when words fail us. Just as our life begins and ends with God, our prayers begin and end with God too. The same Spirit that gives us life is the same Spirit that gives us the words to speak to God and to speak in the Lord's name. 
as we look to and rely on the Spirit for what to say and also what to do, we will find clarity to discern the will of God. We will gain the strength to live according to what is right and good, and we will be empowered to love one another as God loves us and become together all that our Lord has destined us in Christ to be. That is what it means to be Pentecostal, because the witness and evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives is our lives being changed world being changed. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org.